2020 is just about over. Okay. You think? Almost. November 3rd is going to actually, it's the new New Year's. It's the new November yeah, 4th. November 3rd. <laughs> new right. world. That's right. That's right. If you don't vote for jo- Joe Biden, you ain't black. You already know that, right? Uh, 50's about to you find know, that out, too. You know, uh, <laughs> uh, you know why Adam, you know how you know that Adam and Eve weren't black? Uh-oh. Is, is he ever take a rib from a black man? You can't no, get, you no, can't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> you might have a point there. Uh-huh. You know no, what I'm saying? You don't touch my ribs. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Cross Politics on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. That good was to be with you guys. You like, you like that? No, not really, but it was okay. good. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Where are we at? What are we doing now? Uh, that intro. What is this stuff? We're just, we're just recording a show game. That's that all. intro was so good. I, I lost my lost my place. Mm, you sound like Joe hey. Biden. Make sure you guys... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, come man. on, man. Come on. Come on, That's man. That's pretty low. That's low. Is that That's good? Low. Is that good? Uh, make sure you guys uh, sign up for our magazine. That's dropping. Uh, March. It's actually so. Ooh. January 1st is when the subscription starts. Your magazine will first appear in the mail in March. We're super excited about it. Four issues. It's, it's going to be four issues a year, and it's basically going to be a you know a new book every quarter, about eighty pages to ninety pages. Is what we're going to be shooting for. So basically, like a small book every quarter with various authors. You know, Pastor Toby, C.R. Wiley, all the all the guys on the network. Pastor Doug will be participating in it with us. Um, Hopefully we get and, Nate and to write for and us. And you're you wanting know? to actually, like, we want to kind of maybe theme it, like, yep. to the fight, to the laughing, to, to the, the feast. feasting. Yeah. We're, we're, the plan is also to have, like, a, a psalm of the quarter yep. uh, that will we'll have, like, Aaron Snell or Mark, um, Reagan. Uh, Mark Reagan walk us through, like, a psalm of the quarter. Here's how we sing it here. You know, so that'll be in the magazine. Also... Uh, recipes, barbecue recipes. Mm. I want to do some reci- uh, a recipe a quarter Ooh. in there because we want we want fight laugh feast. We, we wanna, need some you know, of that. Need some smoking going on. You know, if we're gonna if we're gonna uh, fight, we need food to get us there. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. All right. Uh, and then of course, uh, join the club. All the conference content is yes. now in the portal for club members. Archived. So if you miss the conference, you can still join the club and and watch the talks. It was just fantastic. High quality ones are so, almost there. Uh, high, oh, make sure you download the app. We're on uh, Edified uh, Network also, so you can download Edified's app also. And cool. We prefer you guys download our. They app, let us man. be on there. They huh? did. They just did. Search fight, yep. laugh, feast. That's right in the uh, in your app store. And then lastly, uh, Dr. Tom Price, who's coming. Oh God, right later. there. Mm-hmm. Dr. Tom Price yeah. is coming on in the next segment, <laughs> and he's teaching a class on theology and cor- Man, culture. Tripology. He he mm-hmm. started preaching on us. He did. Uh, what yeah. was it like? Uh, we we t- we kind of we kind of um, uh, battle tactics for the baptized. Battle yeah. tactics. That was actually the name of the class. That's what it, it should have been. been. It, yeah, it should have been. It, it, battle tactics for the baptized. That's it's, right. Oh, he's going to war. Yeah. You want to go to war? It's really you can good. Go to war. Hey, classical conversations. Real. I'm for real. Thank you so much for your support. Classical conversations supports homeschooling parents. By cultivating the love of learning through a Christian worldview and fellowship with other families, they provide a classical, Christ-centered curriculum, local like-minded communities across the United States, in fact, in several countries around the world, and they train parents who are striving to be great classical educators for their children in the home. You can always find out more information and get connected at classicalconversations.com, classical, Christian, connected, and they, they, community. They, <laughs> I gotta say, classical conversations are day ones. Y'all know what day ones are? No. Oh. They've been down since day one. Oh, day it's, one. It's they day ones right there. So since Cross Politics started, those it's guys true. have been down with us. It's so, true. We're so yeah. grateful. Support Robert the Borton's. people. Yeah. Support Salute. the people who support us. Salute. This last week was the last presidential debate. Yep. Probably ever. No. <laughs> Gay, don't you don't you even. Don't say that. We don't know. We don't know. But we know November third is the last day of this new year. <laughs> And so we got some clips we're going to walk you guys through. We are talking a lot about struggling small businesses and business owners these days. Do you think this is the right time to ask them to raise the minimum wage? You, of course, support a $15 federal minimum wage. I do, because I think one of the things we're going to have to do is we're going to have to bail them out, too. We should be bailing them out now, those small businesses. Two, now. we got one in six of them going under. They're not going to be able to make it back. They passed a, pre- a, a package that allows us to be able to call PPP. Money is supposed to go to help them do everything from organize how they can deal with their businesses being open safely. D- d- schools, how they can make classrooms smaller, how they can hire more teachers, how they can put ventilation systems in. Whoa, they whoa. need the help. The businesses as well as the schools need the help. But this 
Because these guys will not help oh, them. What do you, what do you want to say? not giving them any of the money. These guys. We are going to move Excuse on to immigration, one, one thing very quickly, but I want to get your reaction. He said we have to help our small businesses by raising the minimum wage. That's not helping. Uh, I think right. it should be a state option. Alabama is different than New York. New York is different from Vermont. State option. Every state is different. It should be a state you, option. You said very recently. We have recently, to help. It's very important. It's not the time to use a state rights argument. You, you <laughs> it should be a state option. Look, Every... I've lived in different places. I know different places. They're all different. Some places, $15 is not so bad. In other places, other states, $15 okay, would be Okay, President ruinous. Trump, thank no, you. Quick no. what, what does Dr. Walt Williams have to say about this? Let's find out. A lot of people will say, well, the minimum wage is an anti-poverty device. Well, that is utter nonsense. It doesn't even pass the smell test. Because if it were an anti-poverty device, well, then instead of spending all this money on foreign aid, we just have our experts at the State Department tell Bangladesh, well, you could be rich like we are, just have a higher minimum wage. Ooh. <laughs> I, I, there's no way I would have said this uh, clear as he did in 30 man, seconds. That's that so is good. so good. Yeah. That's that's Grandpa Walter Williams man. right there. We were in his living room. That was that it, was in we, his living room. We yeah. we filmed that. Yes, you you, you filmed that. Yeah, yeah, and I watched you film. That was that. when you had the COVID too. <laughs> and, that, <laughs> and that's when I got my book signed by. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe I did not bring my book. No, but here's the, here, just just I just want to underline it for real quick for these people. Okay. Yeah. People think. Biden is going on and on on national television, and nobody's laughing him off the stage. No, for saying they need bailouts, they need to raise the minimum wage. Raising the minimum wage is crushing businesses. Is crushing the poor. You you don't just you don't just vote more money for people. It really does. And at the very end of the clip, I think it got caught up slightly. It actually says nobody says that. Yeah. Well, first of all, Walter Williams does. Yeah. But, That's all you need. But here's the thing. Just do basic math. Yep. If you're a business owner and you're trying to pay your people and suddenly the law comes down and says you've got to pay them a dollar more an hour, two dollars more an hour, three dollars, whatever. And it's an arbitrary uh, but, uh, law. Yeah. You but, know, why not twenty dollars an hour? Why not why not hundred? Not only is it unjust because the government has no business actually commanding me to give a certain amount of money. Yep. No, but not only that, set, set that aside. What does it do? It means you have less money. Overall, that's right. And so, wh- who pays for that? Well, he's going to have less workers. Yep. Uh, you know, maybe we just you know he can't hire as many employees. Not as many employees, and then the, at least um, the the costs have to go up. He and, said and, he said in this debate that the minimum wage does not hurt businesses. Yeah. And remember, the Seattle uh, raised their minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour, and it's destroyed the restaurant well, it, business. It, listen, we've had this conversation all the way back to the early 90s into the late 80s. Milton Friedman did this. Yes. This is a, not a new conversation. First of all, I want to take what you put on the shelf and bring that off and say for a second, I make a contract with my employer what it is I'm going right. to make. The federal government right. doesn't get to decide between the two of us. Right. If I say I want to work for $1, they don't get to tell me, no, you have to work for 10 That right. is, first yeah, of that's all, right. so that's it's, just it's, essential. Oh, it's actually a form of theft. This absolutely mm-hmm. Well, because that's how they get to tell you to shut down your businesses. Right. <laughs> if, they, if they can demand that you pay people a certain amount of money, they have the yep. authority then to they tell, can you. tell you. You have to have plexiglass. That's exactly right. That's yeah. what's but coming masks, next. Masks, whatever. We, yeah. For someone who claims to be a person for the minorities, right. minimum wage has hurt minorities probably more than yep. probably anything else uh, outside of the policies they've they've created in, inside of the Democratic Party. But it hurts because if you have to pay somebody fifteen dollars an hour. Then you're like, if I don't like this guy and you're an actual racist, right. then what you're going to do is like, well, I'm not paying him $50. I'll pay my stupid uncle yeah. you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> to do this. Mm-hmm. But if this guy is like willing to work for yeah. cheaper than your uncle, right. even if you're racist, your favorite color is green. Yep. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. well, I'd rather I'll pay two of the people who I don't yep. like. Right. Mm-hmm. And they all of a sudden, these people who you really are racist towards get a right. chance to make but, money and provide for themselves. Where your uncle now, you like he, he too yeah. expensive. This is also this is frankly why a lot of um, a lot of people coming up from South America and Central America and Mexico and so That's on. Right. They coming up a lot of times. Yeah. They work under the table. That's right. Yeah. They're not just so they yep. can they can work for whatever and rate they, they want yep. and they do good. Yes. And, and they're like, I'm willing to do that job. Yeah. That's right. I'm willing to do that job for, yeah. for whatever. And and that just explodes and they do really well. That's right. That's right. I, you know, I I don't even know what our society how society defines socialism anymore like i don't like yeah. minimal wage of socialism and then here talking about health care socialized medicine what do you say to people who have concerns that your health care plan which includes a government insurance option takes the country one step closer to a health care system run entirely by the government what's i your say it's ridiculous it's like saying that you know we're uh, the idea that the fact that there's a public option that people can choose 
that makes it a socialist plan? Look, yes. The difference between the president, I think health care is not a privilege, it's a right. Everyone Who should says? have the right to have affordable health care. And I am very proud of my plan. It's gotten endorsed by all the major labor unions as well as, <laughs> there you go. as well as a whole range of other people who, in fact, are concerned in the medical field. This is something that's going to save people's lives, and this is going to give some people an opportunity, an opportunity to have health care for their children. How many of you home are worried and rolling around in bed tonight wondering what in God's name you're going to do if you get sick? I feel sick? like he's going to sniff me because you've when he looks at the camera. Because you've lost your home insurance, your, your, your health insurance, your company's gone under. We have to provide health insurance for people wow. at an affordable rate, and that's what I do. Here's another thing about this conversation. Um, I mean, there was a lot of untruths spoken last night. Oh, <laughs> uh, piles. Piles. Obamacare, if you guys remember, um, killed about 20 million Americans' insurance plans because they became illegal. Right. Those plans became illegal. Right. Yeah. There's 180 million Americans that have private health insurance, right. and, and now 20 million Americans are on Obamacare. Right. But why is the government in health insurance? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, no. I, and, I, and the whole absolutely. thing—the whole thing—is just another application, though, of minimum wage That's laws. Exactly Actually, right. it's what yes, they're right. doing because right. they're, right. they're telling health insurance companies and doctors and everybody else this is how much you may charge or you may right. not charge. Well, you remember yeah. Obamacare drove up deductibles, like of course, extensively. I I left my company when Obamacare was becoming in in in. The, and I went and Googled and did all the research for what plans I could get and everything. And it was just unbelievable how expensive When the government it was. gets involved in this stuff, prices always go through the roof. Always. Right. And they always yeah. go through the roof because you don't, you don't know anymore what the factors are. Yeah. Yeah. If you're in charge of your own property, your own widgets, your own services, and you make a contract with somebody – there can be a personal relationship there. And where there's relationships of trust, That's right. you don't have to make all kinds of crazy plans for what happens if they screw me. That's right. right? But, but as soon as a government can come in and vote different things, regulations, and now you need to do this, and now you're, you know, your two-by-fours, your, your, you know, your studs need to be so many inches apart, and Price you have to, go this, up. this many plugs, and, yep. and the inspectors are going to come in. Prices go up. Prices go up not only to actually do that, but because you have to make contingency plans constantly about what happens if I didn't. That's you know, right. take something else into consideration. Right. It drives the prices through the roof. Last thing, really quick on this, is that health insurance is not a right. That's yeah. right. Yep. Healthcare right. is not a right. Yeah. Right. Okay. This That's is exactly right. This is foolishness. It's, it's not the job of the government, first of all, but secondarily, it's just not a right. Yeah. It's a blessing. That's right. And it's the responsibility of the people who would have. It, and it's <laughs> the responsibility care. of fathers. That's right. Men to provide for their families, to nourish and cherish their wives as their own bodies, yep. which means feeding them, clothing them. Putting a roof over their head, that's making right. sure they're warm in the winter time, you know, and, and the same thing with their children. That's the that's the family's job, and the church is the backstop for, and, for that. And it's very possible that you might be rolling around in your bed trying to figure out how to take care of your family. It's true, but it's not the government's. How's the government? That's not their. You job are way better. That's at right. It. And it, way and better. It, it really yeah, is a challenge. Right. It really can be a yeah. challenge. Yes. but you are way better at it than a bureaucrat did you in say, Washington. Did you say Samaritan Ministries? I might have. Is that that's what you said? Samaritan? Right. Ma- yeah, maybe right. like Samaritan huh. Ministries. I'm, I'm wondering if they're a sponsor for us or something like that. Yeah, okay. corporate partner. Yeah, they yeah. might be. But I think, you know, watching this debate, I, I watched a lot of it. I didn't watch the whole thing. But watching this debate, and I think really we've allowed the government to get too far into too many things. And all these questions, the questions that they're asking are actually ludicrous. You know, should the government be involved in healthcare? Should the government well, they're be not involved even in asking that? In asking game? They're not even asking that. No, they're just assuming. Yes, well, it's the, just a huge one, one huge assumption. The reason and, they're assuming it is because we're assuming it too. But it's we, been happening for over a hundred yeah. years. We're we, asking, uh-huh. what are you going to do about my health insurance? Right. Yep. right. What are you going to do about my minimum my, wage? My oil. Right. What are you going to do about yep. race? Yep. Right. Uh, you know, like, that's not, not the, yeah. their job. Yeah. You want. And, and what about fracking? All right, now, let me, now let, me have, let me allow fracking. Vice President Biden I to respond. I never said I oppose fracking. <laughs> you said it I, on tape. I did show the tape. Put it on oh, your man. website. I'll put it on. Put it on the website. The fact of the matter is Should he's flat lying. What's <sighs> wrong with you people? <laughs> this is... This no is... more, no new fracking. We, we are, we are going to get rid of fossil fuels. Well, like, what about, say, stopping fracking and stopping pipes? Would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, in a Biden administration? No, it would be, we, would, we would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated. Eliminate. I guarantee, I guarantee we're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. 
ends. Number one. Three wow. consecutive American presidents have enjoyed stints of explosive economic growth due to a boom in oil and natural gas production. As president, would you be willing to sacrifice some of that growth, even knowing potentially that it could displace thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of blue-collar workers in the interest of transitioning to that greener economy? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> he would be willing to sacrifice hundreds of thousands of jobs, all these blue-collar workers. I can, I'm just thinking about the end people fracking. Who, are, who prepped him for this debate are sitting back there now, yeah. ball-headed. Oops. Somebody had I a full never head. said I would end fracking. Put up the video. Oh my goodness, what are you thinking? And then the videos went up. That, that uh, look, I made the mistake of asking, like, does anybody have? I want where's that fact check video? I, yeah. I made the mistake during the debate to ask for it. I got it's, hit like twenty videos it's everywhere. Yeah. Everybody just Every, blew that joker yeah, up. Yeah. You know, one of the things I thought about, you know, Gabe, you hit this before, and we've talked about the paternal attitude of the people have created an environment yeah. where two people are sitting here arguing and fighting. Over us. Yep. And one of the places that it, it became evident to me when they were asking, hey, do you understand how black families feel about having to have the conversation yeah. and talk with their kids? And and Joe went on to say his thing and then Trump went on to say his thing. And at that moment, I realized that black people really aren't a pawn of any particular party. But that's what's happening. We're being used yeah. as pawns, a particular party. But it's not just black people. All they did us. that with everybody. Right. Their, their, yeah. Everybody right. was a pawn. Yeah, they're all just talking about how much chocolate ice cream they're going to give to everybody. Yes. And that's exactly. you know the more you know more free chocolate ice cream. I'm giving more. And and so on the on the you know how did Trump's uh, answer to the, the the question about black people it was like, well, I I've given them more money for colleges. Exactly. I gave Same them, you know thing. everything else. No. It's like, no. What we what yeah. we want you to do if you want to honor the dignity of the image of God yeah. in all of us is do what God called you to do and then get out of the way. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. That's how you honor my dignity as a man. That's how you honor the image of God in me yes. is by doing what God called you to do, which is punish criminals and then get out of the way. That's it. Right. Get Stay in your lane and then get out of the way. And when those questions come, you say, well, that's not my job. And because I honor and respect the God who gave me this job mm -hmm. and the God who made everyone in this country in, you preach, in his preach, image, preach I'm, I'm not going to do that for them. That's I'm going right. to cheer them on. I can praise those who do good. That's yep. right. I'll cheer them on. I'll say, way to go, churches. Way to go, um, you know, schools. Way to go. That's right. But my job is not to do your job for you because I know that when I step into that, it doesn't go well. Right. That's right. It never goes well right. when the government starts running a bunch of stuff that's not their business to run. It, I mean, we're in. I mean, has twenty twenty taught us nothing? I, I don't no. think it has. No. No. I don't think it's it true. has. It's it, true. But we should yeah. we should learn that because at some point we're going to have to answer for this. And just just for everybody to know, you're trying to figure out where do you start at when you see something like this. How do you start gaining things back? Yeah. The best way, the best place to start in gaining some of that authority back is the the most freer areas. Right now, that's education. Right. You can start your own homeschool. Yeah, you take, can start get find your kids those, out of the right. government schools. Do your own school. Yeah, start a school. Start you do classical conversations. Do, do some co-op, whatever. Co -op, whatever. Yeah. Uh -huh. but, but yeah, start there. Start check, in the areas that check are out free. Samaritan Ministries. That's right. Um, get Ed, out, healthcare, healthcare, healthcare. Yep. Christians helping other Christians care for one another. Um, just take responsibility. Also, you probably want to take uh, Dr. Thomas Price's uh, Fight Laugh Feast class, and which we're going to talk to him next on Cross Politics. So don't you <laughs> yeah. go anywhere. We'll be right back with Dr. Tom Price talking about the culture, theology of culture. And culture. Come, the, the, Battle tactics for the battle. I like that, I like yeah, that, that better, title yeah. better. More Cross Politics coming up next. Hi, I'm Robert Borton, CEO of Classical Conversations. Our most precious commodity is time. No one has ever lied on their deathbed wishing they had spent more time making money. They all wish they had spent more time creating a legacy. Our modern education system steals that legacy, steals that time from our children. That's why I'm passionate about homeschooling. That's why at Classical Conversations, we want to give you more time to create that legacy, follow your passions, and glorify God. Visit classicalconversations.com for more information. Okay, you're still awake. It's one in the morning. <laughs> Just making sure. I've been, I've been up early. There's always the hia and there's the not hia. I don't know. I never yeah, know which day it is. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. like the not hia. I know, right? Well, I, don't don't like I got my coffee. What, which, which I, one I, is I went it? to Coeur d'Alene this morning and back. You've been Already. driving. You've been Already. Going. Hey, welcome back no to Cross Politics. I'm the one and only Fight Laugh Feast Network. This segment is brought to you by Gabe's hia. Yes. And also, oh, no. with us right now on the line is Dr. Thomas Price. 
Yes. Uh, Adjunct mm. faculty at University of St. Joseph. The Price is Right. Gordon Conwell Theological <laughs> Seminary. Apologize for Gabe, Tom. University of Oxford in Systematics and Ethics. One of the main uh, characters in the Theology Pugcast. On the network. Which is on the Fight Lafayette's network. One of the great unknown treasures in Christendom. I'm just I don't think it's that unknown. I don't think it's that unknown. I'm hoping uh, not because people need some more price in their life. And yeah. uh, he, 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 don't forget, uh, he plays jazz guitar. Um, and he's teaching right. a class. And, and what we are very excited about. jazz guitar? About, no. Oh, okay. It's not, not yet. Okay. Hey, I, I can bring it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. He All is right. teaching a class on theology and culture for Fight Laugh Feast University. Uh, Tom, thanks so much for coming back on Cross Politic. Oh, you're welcome. Great to be here. Um, tell us first off, just what's your goal with this class? Why, why are you teaching it and what do you hope to accomplish? Uh, well, but I think bring it to uh, the deepest motivation, I want it to be basically what you would call an intellectual battle training for the baptized. Or if, if you don't baptize the whole family young, at least for the Christian family. <laughs> so <laughs> so intel, intellectual battle training for, for the Christian um, family. Amen. And uh, what I want to do is really pick up the, the something I think that has been eclipsed in a lot of, especially Western Christianity, um, and is really, I think, something uh, you all, of course, put at the forefront is that we, we are in a fight um, and being baptized classically in the renouncing of Satan, right? Yeah. And all of his works right. was tied to that as you are now, um, you put to death the idols and your loves are now reoriented towards God and all things in relation to God. At that moment, you are also at war. It is a spiritual war, but in that spiritual war, there are arguments that try to bring themselves up against um, the true knowledge of God in Christ. And so what this is, is battle training. It's not looking just at theology only for how it gives us kind of the the full picture, but how it actually trains us to um, wean off of the idols that are around us, especially in the church, um, in so doing, um, center our things in in uh, God in Christ, um, and then in that process, what it looks like to wean off of them is also to have our loves reoriented. So we don't relate to everything the same way anymore. Material goods, um, society, politics, we relate to them as Christ is Lord, and that these are uh, these are enemies that have taken over the territory that belong to Christ, and so we have an intellectual task of bringing all the truth in creation um, under the lordship of Christ when it has been taken and attached to a lot of these idols and have have enslaved uh, the creation. And so this is sort of a class. It's not aiming to do all of that, but be the foundations in that. What um, what is the Christian difference and what difference does it make? And then how does that equip us to engage current uh current idols and and their impact that's yeah man Doc, dr price i think, I think <laughs> and thank you for coming on cross politics <laughs> i think we named the title of the class is, is wrongly named oh, it should be goodness. like some like theological <laughs> rebel yell or something like that <laughs> you know? i don't know i like i like battle tactics for the baptized My, yeah there I, we I, go I, I, I thought yeah. that was pretty rad i i'm so Talk a little bit in, in your course description. I think you're naming some of the idols. I mean, the course description, I, I sort of went a little bit kind of standard sounding, but I, I, I'm, I'm hearing you say that basically you're saying modernism and postmodernism and radical trends and critical theory studies. I mean, these are some of the idols you're talking about. Can you describe those idols, how they've infiltrated um, the, 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 the area that you know, Christ claims and how we're going to uh, smash those idols? Yeah, I need some popcorn. I need some, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> this is going to be good. Now, now, I think one of the, the ways I approach this is, of course, from, I sort of do, you know, you could call it theological genealogy, if you will. Yeah. I go back, especially in, in a break between really Christendom and, and the West's move away from a, a, a theological, theologically centered vision. Yeah. And there, there are some innovations that happened long time ago, we'll get into that with the class, that start to um, introduce ideas that are not consistent with the Christian view of God. 
And in some of these were actually came out of uh, Islamic thinking and some of the debates that um, entered into the arena of theology. And it started to put such an emphasis on God as is almost just pure power, but no other attributes mm. and, and arbitrary power. And so what I do is I trace the way that starts to develop a new notion of nature as basically um, arbitrary power. Um, history as basically undirected, um, uh, an undirected force. The wow. providence gets redefined, right. and then sort of the human, the human being in particular, starts to be not. It's not conceived holistically um, as the image of God, both the rational nature and and everything else, but basically a, a, a sheer will mm. and in a self that basically is lord over everything. Wow. Um, and and so basically the attribute of God as pure power omnipotence almost becomes the attribute of humanity. And this is so humanity mm. is the one who generates through its own resources and will all of reality. It right. defines what's good and bad. So I, I really want to do a lot of uh, tracing of, of, of that history that has brought us this distinct understanding of nature, experience, history, and of course the, the self. And then that God of the self, if you will, right. um, the, or yeah, and the and the idol behind it. Um, that idol basically gets thrown out the door a little later, but it gets replaced with the new a new idol, and that's what all these different theories tend to be: expressions, um, different idols, if you will, that have grown out of throwing off of some some of the old ones. And um, so, critical theory um, would be one. It's taking another critic, uh, another creaturely reality, making it everything. And then making everything else, oppressing everything else, if you will, under what it takes to be the most significant reality. Huh. And this is what you always have going on. This is why those gods are always oppressive. Mm -hmm. Dr. Price, um, I want to ask you kind of a, a practical question I've been kicking around in my head uh -oh. uh, the, last, the last week. Uh, you know, I, everywhere I look, I, you know, I look at conservative states, conservative cities, and so forth, and uh, conservatives have done a good job building good economies, good cities, yes. and then the liberals come and take them. Yes, I, I mean they do. I mean, look at you know, look I mean, at Texas, uh, yeah, Texas, yeah, Dallas is yeah. taken over yeah. by liberals. San Antonio, Houston, all the big Austin, yeah. all the big cities. Yeah, that's right. But I cannot. Um, I think there's a couple examples, but I cannot really find um, where conservatives are doing this with liberal cities. Yeah, you know why? Yeah. Uh, you know, um, I'm. Asking this practical question because I think I think some of what you're saying is driving at at this yeah. local reality. Why yeah. is it that conservatives lose cities and then can, they can't impact, they can't take over liberal cities? Um, I, I think I mean I think it's an excellent question um, for some of the way in which these ideas um, end up impacting conservatives. Mm -hmm. um, I think one is the way in which conservatives have shied away from the reality questions and and have wanted to emphasize that everything can be dealt with economically, right? So uh, economic conservatism will bring all the rest if right. we get that in place. And, you know, Jesus said, very wisely once upon a time that you can't live by bread alone, right? Right. <laughs> um, so what happens with the, the you know, if you will, liberal and, and left-leaning uh, cities and, and groups is they take up a spiritual and moral vision, right? right. They go after, or it, even if mm. it is a terrible one, um, that's what they do. And this is, I mean, I like to retrieve classical terms uh, uh, from the Christian tradition like true theology and true religion. And I think what you have going on here is bad religion right. and, and uh, mm. you know, I, idolatry, but it is filling that arena that a lot of conservatives often overlook. A lot of conservatives, for example, will themselves practice, you know, their faith, be committed to these things, you know, defend, you know, uh, you know Christian understandings of marriage and life mm -hmm. and these things. But they don't go further than that. They sort of see that as a as a as a, a private space, if you will, um, that they don't think they are allowed to have a say in in a strong way. 
The left don't think like that. They right. think they have the right to have a say and tell that's right. you that's exactly what right. to think. And that's really where it's been a loss of nerve. So hopefully this will help, you know, even this class and this, these kind of things will help to stop losing nerve. Hey, Dr. I mean, Sun- Christ. No, go ahead. no, no, no. What are you going to say? I'm going to finish that. Finish that, brother. If Christ is what? <laughs> well, I mean, if Christ is Lord of all reality, and, and the, the cosmos has been impacted by the resurrection and the ascension, and then we have been called to, to attest to that right. fullness, then we do have fullness. the legitimate authority to tell them what's right and wrong and, and right. everything else. Wow. But we do it Amen. Christianly. Right. Yeah. What he said, I didn't. I definitely don't want to step on those toes. Um, <laughs> don't mess with Jesus, baby. Don't mess with Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you, start, you, start uh, I, you know, I, when you said they don't step into that area, you know, they'll defend. I've noticed this too. We'll, we'll worry about evangelism. We'll get into abortion ministries. We'll get into marriage and defend those things. But there's a certain thing that Christians don't really give their time to. And you, you said that, but why is it that they don't see that as as gospel or Christian um, circles to get involved with? Why is it, why are they limited there? What's stopping them? And then when the world does it, they, they have a, they see their worldview as total. Is it an eschatological issue? What is it that's stopping Christians from getting into the whole thing? Well, I I I think there are a lot of things that have gone into it, but I think one of the, the, um, one of the strong impulses, if you will, that, that kind of shaped that, um, or forces was, uh, I think, during the, I, I would say, especially after Darwin entered the picture in, in the universities and basically ran Christians that didn't want to accept that, you know, uncritically out of the academic mm-hmm. arena, um, I think a lot of Christians started to become intellectually fearful. Mm. Um, and so they didn't, they didn't have all that, you know, sexy lingo of the university to present their ideas and, and all these, the universities now were given over to the rest. So they could come in and sound very persuasive and intelligent where a lot, oftentimes Christians sounded very reactionary because mm. they kind of went into their own pockets, but they didn't pursue this battle. Now there were figures that did. But they, you know, they were rare. And so I think Christians said, you know what, as, as long as they're not messing with us, <laughs> you know, and they're not coming into our territory, we're going to kind of try to live a peaceful coexistence. Wow. But it, I think what we've seen is they're there. The, the, the other gods, if you will, the no gods are they're not they're not happy with that. They want to come in because in some ways you place as a Christian a limit on their absolute control and autonomy. And so they can't, you know, they're competitive, the, the false gods. And so they need that territory. But yeah, but I think what happened is Christians backed out of those areas in some ways from intimidation. Um, in others, they lost familiarity with the arguments and didn't really know how to engage it. I, right now, um, I've seen a lot of talk about the Enlightenment and, and I've been trying to... There's two things, you know, when you start talking about an academic class, one of the first things I think about is, oh, my goodness, there's going to be so many people scared to jump inside of an academic class. But yeah. right now, the battles that we're fighting, it's amazing to me that it's really been academic. And then when people are trying to figure out, well, how do I use these weapons? Is there going to be um, what would you say to somebody who's fearful of being able to take this class and not really getting because they're not academic. They, they, they don't yeah, think sure. in those ways. How does some, what is somebody going to say? I feel like David, um, not David, what's his name? Uh, Daniel LaRusso in Karate Kid. <laughs> when do I learn how to punch? <laughs> because all academics sometimes feels like it's just a whole bunch of knowledge with no effectiveness inside of the culture. So yeah, what is somebody going to walk well, away with? That's right. And, and great. Yeah, the way I want to uh, approach the class is, is something really that breaks down that, that space of intimidation. And and what I'm what I plan to do is is keep it at a at a place where we're getting the substance without having to get into the technical stuff too deeply, mm. and and really deal with things. It could come at it from angles. I, I picked one book. Uh, it was a, a uh, sort of secular Jew wrote it. Uh, Peter Gay at, at uh, Yale University. He wrote a lot of books on history of modernity and the Enlightenment. Well, the book I pick um, deals with it from the perspective of you know art and and uh, literature the different areas that brought the modern enlightenment vision into the living room and the homes of every everybody so everyone's been impacted in the west by 
the Enlightenment and, and of course, postmodernity and the like. And it's come through all these vehicles like art, music, culture, technology, and trends. And so I'm approaching it sort of from that angle. Um, these are the ways that this stuff ends up on your lap, and this is typically what it looks like. As a matter of fact, if you hear yourself using this phrase or that, you probably picked it up without knowing it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that's sort of the approach I'm taking. I'm not looking at it from, okay, you know, back here, um, you know, Immanuel Kant, you know, dealt with, um, you know, in his critique of pure reason, you know, synthetic a priori. We're not looking at that, that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> He's speaking but, in tongues. Uh, okay, okay. I just need a translator. <laughs> and, and so, and so, I do want to keep it because I'm very, uh, uh, very mindful that people can feel intimidated with this kind of it, the intellectual battle. Um, but on the other hand, I think we have to go there. Yeah. I, I think one key reason is is because I think there is a point at which the the false gods are just about to destroy completely the the academic institutions yeah. uh, around us and if we don't have a substantive alternative um built properly around you know uh, truth and and beauty and goodness i i think I, I think we're going to find ourselves in a much worse situation yeah. um than and then could be so this is one of those classes that that allows you to 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 survive these dark ages if you will um, by carrying actually some light into into the battle and out of it. Yeah, even even atheists right now are seeing the academic world about to fall. And so yes. if you're right, we do need to be building an alternative. Could you help me understand the enlightenment and how it applies to where we're at right now in our culture? Yeah, uh, That's a I big will, question. The whole, thing, yeah. the, whole, the whole thing. The whole thing. You got three minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, well, I think I think one way to, if you could, well, uh, Peter Gay's actual quote is, is make it new. Um, you want to talk about the Enlightenment. Um, classical visions, Christian or philosophical for that matter, tended to look towards the ancient, the, the source of everything, the first principles. Right. Um, modernity looked towards uh, the new, and there was something mm. it meant by the new. It meant the new that you have the capacity through your own creaturely resources dare to use your own reason and your own will mm. ap apart from any premise, apart from any mm -hmm. God, yeah. any yep. commandments, Romans one. any, any tradition. Mm -hmm. um, it, I mean, Emmanuel Kant said, dare to, dare to use your own reason, right? Mm -hmm. Dare to use your own thinking. And, and whether it's up against God, the, the true God or anything else, the, the boldness to use your own and ground everything in your own is sort of what the Enlightenment was up to. And so, although they did retrieve something, I think that Christianity itself had eclipsed that 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 uh, that we are um, fearfully and wonderfully made, and that we we can, when we put our mind to to observing nature, for example, do all kinds of amazing things. But these are part of being made in the image of God. Mm. It's not mm -hmm. part of being a god, right? And I think. Modernity basically deifies, um, the, you know, or attempts to deify the human, uh, the human being and the human's natural capacities, and it makes them the center of everything. And so, from either your own reason or your own reason um, uh, interpreting your own experience, um, that becomes the foundational authority for what's true, what isn't true. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and there is one thing that's very important to add there is that the active contribution of the human becomes very significant. Now, this is important when you get to critical theory because I want you to think about what's going on here. So what, what one Enlightenment figure said is basically when you understand anything, you don't really understand that thing as it is in and of itself, you understand it as you've put your interpretation on it. Mm -hmm. So you never really understand the world. All you understand is your interpretation, interpretation of it mm. or it through your interpretation. Well, eventually rip, rip the outer world off altogether and you yep. get social construct. Yeah. You don't, there is no truth out there. Yeah. It's all a construct. Exactly right. Rip the reason out and put the will there. And it's all a social construct right. meant to affirm your will. So when you're preaching the gospel, 
You're not concerned about the truth of Christ. You're basically positing something that your will benefits for your own survival or privilege. Wow. And so, and so the wow. enlightenment and the, it sets the, it cultivates the ground and it allows, it allows for these theories to spring up and, and bounce around unchallenged. Dr. Tom Price, Theology, of, Theology and Culture, you want to go to flfnetwork.com. You right. want to get this in this class. This class is starting this week. I'm, I, can I, can I get a free hookup? starting hook this <laughs> week. <laughs> sign up yep. now. There Do are still spaces. Class. I want to sign up. Are oh. you going to sign up? <laughs> Put my name in, baby. I'm in. Dr. Price, we can spend all day talking to you, brother. Yeah. So grateful Thanks for so you. Thanks so much. God bless you. Are you signed up? Go do that right now. More cross politic coming up with Jay, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. You don't Ooh, want to miss you got that, that from down. Stanford. You got that down. When a medical need arises, hundreds of thousands of Christians across the nation care for one another by sharing financially for those medical needs. Samaritan members pray and reflect God's love and care by providing for one another. While times continue to change, God's love doesn't. He cares for us as we are called to care for one another. Hey, the doctor's on here. What's up? Okay. Yeah, I do it. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. All right, All right doctor. Doctor's on. There we go. All right, here we go. Everybody we can shake hands. Up. We can shake hands now. Right. Here no, we go. No, still yep. Hey, he came back. I know he did. Dr. J came back. Welcome back to Cross Politics. Don't ruin it, Gabe. <laughs> Gotta keep it professional. Okay. We we always have people like Dr. J on this show. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> hey, with us on the line, as you can see, Dr. J. Bhattacharya. He's professor of medicine at Stanford University. He's a research associate at the National Bureau of Economics Research, senior fellow, the Stanford Institute for Economic Policy Research, and at the Stanford Freeman. Spogli Institute. I probably killed that name again. He holds courtesy appointments as professor in economics and in health research and policy. He directs the Stanford Center on the Demography and Health and Aging. And he's cross-politics doctor. And he's, he's our official, he he's our official epidemiologist for the show. Uh, his particular area of research focuses on the economics of healthcare around the world with a particular emphasis on the health and well-being of vulnerable populations. Wow. Um, he's been published everywhere on many things. Yeah. He holds an MD and PhD in economics from Stanford University and is one of the authors of the brand new Great Barrington Declaration, which we're going yes. to talk to him about today. Dr. Jay, thanks for coming back on CrossPolitik. Oh, it's a great pleasure to be here. So tell us about the Great Barrington Declaration. Um, what, um, what were your thinking? What's your goal? And how's it going? So the goal is to fundamentally transform how we deal with this epidemic. Uh, the, 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 the main idea behind the, dealing with the epidemic to date has focused on controlling the spread, the community spread of the disease uh, by lockdowns, right. essentially shutting down business activities, shutting down our ability to go to church, shutting down schools, uh, basically uh, cu cutting off our ability to function in society in any normal way whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And the idea is we slow the, the spread of the disease and then um, and that will somehow uh, solve the epidemic. Uh, that policy has failed. Mm. It's, it's failed. Uh, and and uh, it's actually not that smart of a policy. So, so the idea, the problem is that um, it turns out for this disease, there's two kinds of two groups. If you're over 70, this is a very deadly disease. I mean, I think the survival rate is something like 94, 95 percent. Still, it's a pretty deadly disease. Um, whereas if you're under 70, the survival rate is something like 9,995 out of 10,000. Mm. Right. So it's it's a. It's a it, for for under seventy. The lockdowns have hurt people much more than the disease itself. Wow. wow. So you know, one in four ch uh, young adults have seriously considered suicide this past June Whoa. in the United States. Hmm. Um, even more shocking to me is that uh, the collapse of uh, the world economies worldwide have led to a hundred and thirty million people worldwide who are at risk of, at risk of starvation this year as a consequence of the lockdowns. Mm -hmm. It's an immoral policy, uh, and, and it has to change. Right? We have to acknowledge that those, this policy has costs, and not just money, it's, it's health costs. Lives, lives are being lost as a result of them. Uh, and, and so this great Barrington Declaration, you and some other doctors got together uh, to kind of put out kind of a new vision of how we, or probably an old vision, actually, of how we should be dealing with the, the COVID panic. 
Yeah, actually, Gabriel, you're right. That's it's it's basically an old vision in some sense. It's a uh, it's how we've dealt with many many other epidemics in the past successfully, mm. right? So, for instance, um, so so what are the ideas in it? So I I, I wrote I wrote co-wrote it with uh, Professor Sunetra Gupta at, at at Oxford University and Professor Martin Kuldorf at Harvard University. Right. The ideas are very very simple. We have to protect the vulnerable, the old pe- older people, uh, much better than we have been doing. Um, the lockdowns actually, strangely, have not protected the vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Nursing homes famously have had yep. huge outbreaks. We've right. not done a good job protecting them. But even worse, uh, we, we deem cer- certain people essential workers, even if they're vulnerable. A 63-year-old bus driver who faces actually pretty high risk if they should get infected, um, we ask them to go and expose them, get exposed to the virus yeah. or, or face a loss of a job. We should be using our, our, our money, our resources, our, our ingenuity to protect the vulnerable no matter where they are. Whether they're living in multi-generational homes, uh, being our workers, older workers, uh, and nursing homes, those—that's where we should be be, be lo- lo- using our ingenuity to protect. Use our resources, testing, whatever whatever it takes. Um, you, we can use, uh, for instance, disability accommodation laws, so employers can provide accommodations for older workers who would face some risk. We do this for other other conditions where people are vulnerable. We can do this for this condition. Yeah. Um, there's all kinds of ideas we could use. You know, the, the lockdowns themselves have, have led to a lot of younger people going back to live with their families, older older people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually increased the, the amount of, of exposure that older people have had to younger people mm-hmm. as a result of the lockdowns. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of a it's very strange policy. Now, so for them, protect them. That's now, one part one. Go ahead. Yeah, you got um, you got part two coming. Or, I'm, I'm, or, uh, I'm just I'm right, taking yeah, notes, Doc. Go ahead. Yeah, go to yeah, I want to hear part two. I had a question, but I heard part one. I want to hear part two now. <laughs> part two is very simple. Let everyone else live their life. Let us go back to church. Let us go. Let us open our businesses. Let yeah. us. Now I, I say like a lot of people may still think that there's a risk. Uh, you know, no one's forcing them to participate. Right. But the but the but the psychological harm from these lockdowns on for a set of people who don't actually face a huge risk from the disease has been enormous. Not just psychological, but medical. People have skipped cancer treatments. People have skipped diabetes management care. People uh, there there've been. Uh, mass immunization campaigns that have stopped around the world. Uh, I already mentioned the starvation. The, yeah. the in, in the United States, uh, it's it, people have, are more. Uh, some, some people with cancer are more afraid of COVID than cancer, right. which is uh-huh. really just medically not not right. I mean, I think so. For them, for ev- for everyone else for whom COVID risk is less of a threat than the lockdowns, set us free. That's <laughs> that's part two. You know, Doc, it's funny because I'm listening to you talk about these numbers, and I've heard these numbers. This is, these are numbers that people were projecting kind of could happen at the beginning of this early part of the year, and it came true. It happened, which is a horrible thing. But it seems like that, that a lot of people don't really care about those numbers. And I'm wondering, are you guys getting any traction with the declaration? Are you having a voice? Because no matter how much I will communicate to people, the other numbers, the fallout from the pandemic shutdowns and the mandates – no one seems to care much about those numbers. Are you noticing the same thing? And what has been your response to that? I mean, I think there's been like a, a, a bifurcated response. Like I've, I've seen on the one side an enormous outpouring support for these ideas. <clears throat> People are, are tired of the lockdown. Even within the scientific community, tens of thousands of doctors, epidemiologists, scientists have signed on to the Great Barrington Declaration. Because these ideas are, are just a return, a, to, a call to return to standard public health practice. Right. It's not anything new in right. some sense. It's not novel. It's um, so on the other hand, the, the, oppo- the, the people who argue for lockdowns, they really do have a blind spot to these costs. And it's absolutely shocked me. This 130 million starving people around the world, I mean, that, 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 that additional people starving, that should shock the conscience of every single person on the face of the earth. Man. And if you're thinking about lockdowns, you have to cope with that. That that reality that these lockdowns come at enormous human cost. Uh, these lives are just as important as as an, as an American, even though even if though many of them are not in the United States, they're just as important human right. life uh, than as there as here. And so, why do we right. uh, adopt a policy that would would contribute to that? It's, it's just, as I said, I think it's immoral. You just don't know how to love your neighbor, though, Doctor J. <laughs> I'm trying, but you know what. <laughs> That's a problem for all of us, and I, I'm working on it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking at the uh, signature uh, page uh, on the great uh, Dec- uh, Barrington Declaration, which is gbdeclaration.org. So yes. you can go there. You can sign, sign it. it. Sign a statement. Yep. Read the si- statement if you agree with it. I'm sign doing it right it. now. Um, it, it says there are 567,793 concerned citizens who have signed it as of now. That's just normal people like Gabe. 
Yep. And um, and then eleven thousand over over eleven thousand medical and public health scientists, over thirty thousand medical practitioners. Um, so go to gbdeclaration.org, uh, add your signature. Um, what's the um, what's been the um, the fallout from this statement? Maybe particularly in the medical field, the medical yeah. industry. Is this is this push? Is this making ripples? Is it having the kind of effect that you hoped it would? Well, I think one one thing it's done is it's made very clear. Like a lot of times you hear uh, from the other side uh, the in favor of lockdowns. Well, we just have to follow the science. Right. Well, you know the thing is uh, the science was not actually unified. Right. On this, and that is has become utterly clear. There's a there's a competing declaration, a memorandum they're called the John Snow Memorandum, arguing for lockdowns that people pro lockdown people have issued in response to this. Okay. Now that, I view that as a great victory. In a sense, we now know that there's two competing visions within science. It's not one science thinking of one way. The science actually is divided. Right. Um, actually, you can go compare the arguments yourself. I think the the arguments in the 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 competing side are, are actually quite weak. But um, you know, but at least now, no one can say that there's a single scientific vision. There's science is divided, right? So, um, I think that's a great victory, uh, and it's and it's forced people in favor of lockdowns to try to make arguments in favor of them. I, I can I can run through some of those arguments in favor of why I, th- I don't think much of them, but uh, uh, but I think that that's really good. We now are actually engaged in a debate as opposed to just a group think exercise where we say, oh, let's just do what the scientists say. Right. Have you had any conversations with uh, politicians or people in mm. positions of authority who are making these kind of calls um, where you have feel like you've really made progress? I mean, I still I think uh, the the politicians I've talked to have been have been uh, mostly against the lockdowns. I mean, the the, the pro lockdown politicians have not reached out to me as yet. Okay. Although I would be very happy to talk with them. Um, I mean, I think um, uh, the the we I, uh, with the American public, I think we made a lot of progress. I mean, I think I saw a poll that said fifty seven percent now oppose lockdowns nationwide. Okay. Mm. That's huge progress. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, and 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 you see in the pages of things like the New York Times saying that there's a lot lockdown fatigue. People are tired of lockdowns. Right. Yeah. You know, a, a public health strategy that relies on people to lock down for one, two, three years, uh, uh, you know, that that's a strategy is bound to fail. Yeah. Humans are not meant to live like this. We are meant to live in community, to interact with one another. We we have uh, the public health. Uh, strategies that we adopt have to take into account human nature, not pretend like human nature can be molded to a way that can't actually be. But in order to think like that, you have to think that there's a creator, right? And, yeah. and he made man, and we're and we're away. made in his image, and that we're holistic beings, and it's not just something that we mold into our own image. Hey, Doctor yeah, J, I mean, I, 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 let's say that me and a couple other businessmen have companies right now that are kind of underneath. I don't know. New York's mandate. <laughs> yeah. um, and would you recommend that we take something like this and say, you know what, guys, let's come together and just open up our businesses. Let's just let's just do that because we can't continue to live like this and starting to see it kind of happen in small sex. My my problem is, is that as long as it's small sex, there's no power to actually push back against the government. So so what does someone do with this declaration who has a company that shut down after they sign this? Of course. I mean, I. What you're talking about is, is basically uh, civil disobedience, right? I mean, I think there, there may be. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I mean you said I, that. Let, let's, let's say that. Let's think about I'm that. With that. Like, so, I, like, so the, We're Presbyterian. Like, <laughs> there may be a time when that's necessary. I don't know. I, I still think at this point the democratic governance still would work, right? So reason with the people that, that, that rule over us. Tell them here's what the science really is saying. Here's, what the, you know, here's, here's what's at stake. Um, these lockdowns are not actually controlling the spread. You can see it hasn't controlled the spread. There's still, you know, some places in New York City that are, that are growing. And the, the only question is protecting the vulnerable. Are we doing a good job at that? I mean, I think if you make those arguments, those are, are reasonable arguments. And reasonable people will, will respond to those reasonable arguments. I still think that the democratic uh, process can work uh, in this, it's as frustrating as it has been. Even in um, California, you're assuming there's reasonable people, though. Doc. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, a couple assumptions there I'm concerned about. <laughs> I, I just saw the I, I saw the regulations Newsom put out for uh, Thanksgiving for Christmas, <laughs> or what's been called, and I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> no, well, I mean, there, there, like I said, there may be a time where civil disobedience is worthwhile, but I, I think not not just yet. I, I also think we can use the legal processes. Uh, we've had legal victories actually. So in Florida, for instance. 
um, uh, we've managed to, to keep the schools open right. uh, thanks to some legal victories. Uh, in Michigan, the, the, the Supreme Court ruled against the emergency orders uh, because they were unconstitutional. Right. I think uh, people are starting to understand that these lockdowns violate our civil liberties in fundamental ways. Yeah. And I don't, uh, I don't so- know about that. I was arrested um, <laughs> about a month ago for singing psalms in our front of city hall. While, while singing psalms, yeah. While singing psalms, not wearing a mask. I, I don't, and, I, and President Trump retweeted my arrest, <laughs> and it kind of made our city look pretty silly. But now we were practicing our First Amendment rights, and they arrested us. Th- I me. saw that, and I was absolutely shocked. It was unbelievable. Right? I, I think it's utterly clear that our, our, our civil liberties have been violated. And I don't – I mean, I think the American Republic is a strong – I mean, I'm really glad I live in a place that has these kind of protections, sure, legal yeah. protections. Um, yeah. Let's take advantage of them. Let's let's yeah. let's let's work to to uh, do lawsuits against officials that, that that go too far. Let's work on on yeah. you know democratic processes to to register complaints. Uh, we can we you know protests apparently are fine with public health officials. So let's let's protest. <laughs> you know and, <laughs> right. And, and Doc, I guess my question is: looking at how long we've already been out of business, and looking at trying to fight that at the same time, our resources are dwindling in such a way that to be able to fight. And having the money to do so without being able to do business, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're we're you know it's by the time we get done trying, are we going to be even able to fight financially? I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's not the financial resources. I think it's 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 moral courage. It's it's uh, mm. power from above yes, sir. That, that sustains us. Well, then right? preach, I mean, preacher. <laughs> Um, so speaking of, um, you know, there being different views, a diversity of views, one of the things, I don't know if we talked with you about this last time, but one of the other practical things has been the whole masking thing. Yeah. And, and it seems to me that uh, and my concern all along has been there is a diversity of views on the effectiveness of masking. What kind of mask? Is it cloth mask? Any kind of covering? Um, what's your take on the mask mandates, particularly given uh, the diversity in, in the scientific literature on that? So uh, first, let me just note any public health um, sort of diktat, any public health sort of a, a, a you know sort of a policy that we adopt should seek to unite, not divide. Right. And what 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 has happened with the mask is a is an evidence of of a failed public health policy. What what is done in the public is it's created this set like on one group that if you wear a mask, therefore you care for other people, and therefore I'm a good person if I'm wearing a mask. Right. There's a one, one on one side. On the other side, it's if I don't wear a mask, uh, I'm, I'm I'm standing up for my individual liberties, and you know, uh, and it and it's created this like animosity inside the public that is just the what exactly the opposite of what the goal of any good public health policy should be, which is seek to unite unite us. The the, the common enemy here is the virus, not each other, mm-hmm. and yet the public health policy has created this divide. Um, uh, so I think that that uh, and now why has that happened? Partly because the evidence on masks actually is very mixed. I mean, in some settings, it's great. Like in hospital settings, if you're in crowded areas, uh, I mean, mask masks can can reduce the spread, especially if, if there may be people symptomatic in the in the in the in the, in the uh, um, you know in the in, in the crowd. Um, on the other hand. People wearing masks outside. I mean, there's not well, a ton of evidence that, that that does much good. I mean, I, just, I think there's it's just mixed. And in, and in the and the, the only randomized evidence comes from like data on on, on mask mandates comes from like influenza, where you haven't found a, neg- a, a real positive effect on slowing the spread. Right. And and if you look at how well it's done to slow the spread of COVID, I mean, places have adopted masks when the cases are increasing, that the cases keep increasing. They've adopted masks when cases are decreasing, and then sometimes it comes back. Despite yeah. the adoption of the mask mandate, I mean, it's. I'd say at best it's mixed. Um, I mean, I, again, I think uh, good public health messaging could be could work here. You know, here are the situations when masks work. You should be really careful about using them here. These are the kinds of masks that work. I think we were like very careful to say that and not create divisions unnecessarily. That would be a much more effective way to do it. Right now, it's very. I mean, I think a mask mandate would would utterly divide the country. Yeah. You know, it seems like this goes back to the history or the the old way of handling pandemics. Uh, It seems like, I think you guys made this point um, in an interview I was watching a couple weeks ago uh, with you, where in this pandemic, all we're doing is focusing just on how we can stop the virus. We aren't um, focusing, you know, it's like, 
when you put out a forest fire, you're 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 making a number of calculations. Of course, you're trying to put out the fire, but you're calculating wh- where's the wind blowing, where's the hill, where's the houses, yeah. where's you know all these things. But for just this pandemic, all we're doing is focusing on the virus, and that's been the strategy. It hasn't been kind of a holistic view like what the Barrington, uh, excuse me, the uh, Barrington it's the Declaration, great Barrington Declaration, um, the Great Gabe, get the Great. Um, you know, so you know, address that. I mean, why, why are we just focusing yeah. on that one thing? I think that's the biggest mistake we made in this epidemic in some sense, right? So public health health is a multifaceted thing. It's not simply virus uh, virus control. It's not simply infection control. Um, you know, we, 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 there's where humans are, are, are made wonderfully with in a very complicated way in, in his image. And that is a complicated image. Uh, there's other things to life than just, uh, in fact, we're not bags of germs right. looking to, to avoid infecting one another. Public health should acknowledge that. We should acknowledge the fact that that there's, uh, you know, we get cancer, we get uh, we get diabetes, we get uh, we we get psycho, we we you know we get depressed, we get all those things. We we need to be able to make a living so that we our families can be fed. We need we have all these needs. I mean, those are just base needs, but in some sense, really important ones um, that need to be taken into account in public health. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a public health practice should never lose sight of that, and it absolutely has. It's decided that the only relevant thing is COVID control and uh, with the results that you see. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I, th- I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe it beyond this. It's just, it's just a mistake. Like we have to return to a public health practice that views people as more than just, uh, more than just uh, vectors of, of, of uh, infections. Doesn't, doesn't one of this thing, thing shows us that we've been giving the government too much authority over That's our health to for go. too long? I mean, one of the reasons why we're in this mess is we just kept handing more authority over to the government, more authority, more authority, more health authority over. And now the government can tell us to put a mask on our face. Well, and let me just I want to kind of piggyback on that and frame that a little different, Dr. J. Part of this in, you know, I I appreciate doctors like you who you've been a godsend and a blessing to be able to find in in the midst of trying to weed through this back in March. This was crazy. And so being able to find you has been a blessing. But one of the things that like, like with Gabe. My question has been, whose responsibility is it to make sure that my grandmother, my mom, the people in my family are taken care of and protected? That's my responsibility. And so I would love the information, but you don't get to decide for me where and who I get to put my mom with. Right. And so my my problem has been the overreach of kind of the the health industry in the healthcare. Well, it's, right? it, but it's the, driven by the state, though, but because that's, there's, yes. there's there's a there's a gun behind it. That's there, right. There's yeah. threats behind it. Yeah. I mean, I think I guess I guess I'm you have to be you have, I, I'm of two minds. I do think that the government has some uh, responsibility. Like, I think their sure. public health has to be public. Sure. Um, and there's a responsible role for the government and the public health authorities in how they you know, convey information, how they uh, make decisions that joint, affect jointly all of us. I mean, I think there is definitely a real role for that. So I don't, I don't think I'm not of the side of saying let's get rid of. It. I think the no, problem I, is that they've overstepped. Right. That's right. right. There that's are right. Limits to what they should be able to do to a free people. That's right. Um, and they've overstepped that. And just, I, now I can even imagine a, a disease where some of those actions might be justified. Right? So imagine a disease that killed kids differentially. I would be much more open to a lot of the actions that have been taken. But the, but that's not what this is. This disease seems to harm kids very little. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they're, they're, so I think the, the data are not sufficient for me, at least for me, to say, oh, yeah, well, we need to take these drastic actions that have curtailed our civil liberties that have made it so that I'm supposed to think about whether, you know, I, I want, I, you know, have Thanksgiving, the government, the, no. the government's telling you not to have Thanksgiving. I mean, I just, I think that's an overstep. I think it's an overreach. Those are, you know, tell us what the risks are. Yes. And then we'll make our choice on that. That's right. right. That's right. That's right. Great Barrington Declaration. What's the website? GBDeclaration.org. Read it. Share it. Sign it. Yes. Send it to your civil magistrates. Yeah. Hey, Dr. J, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for what you're doing. We're praying for you. Yep. Um, and I yeah, hope, I hope this gets real traction, and I hope that you guys make an impact and we can turn this thing around. Appreciate you, brother. If Thank you're you. single, get married. If you're married, have kids. If you have kids, go baptize them. Until next week, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic. 
We did not design a cookie-cutter curriculum meant to chop students into appropriately shaped submissives or snowflakes for the secular zeitgeist. We designed our curriculum the way we did because we want our graduates to be equipped to stand courageously against that destructive zeitgeist and to honor their maker and how they, body, mind, and soul, battle to save their communities and the entire Western world from our current diseased insanity. New St. Andrews College is not in the business of rubber stamping graduates for this particular job market or that particular career. We aren't happy unless our graduates are equipped to tackle any constructive cultural task anywhere, from courtrooms to hospitals to job sites to movie sets to the highest risk job and the most important setting of all, the raising and training of the next generation of immortal souls around dining room tables and in pews. The world may have gone mad, but it's not the first time. It has been saved before and by particular people, many of whom shared a very particular type of education. Augustine, Calvin, Jefferson, Churchill, and many lesser-known heroes in times of madness all had one type of education, one type of training in common. And it's the same kind of rigorous education we currently pursue surrounded by the rolling wheat fields of Idaho. By God's grace, our civilization will be saved or rebuilt from the smoking ruins. The men and women capable of such a task, capable of fearless joy and fiery laughter, all while undertaking such hard cultural labor, those are the kind of graduates we want, the kind we expect. They are why we exist and why we teach what we teach. So you might call it a major in world building or culture shaping or a major in saving civilization. We call it classical Christian liberal arts. New St. Andrews College, saving civilization since 1994.